Today's episode of the Riderflex podcast is sponsored by our friends at Rockies Venture Club, an angel investing group dedicated to accelerating economic development by educating and connecting investors and entrepreneurs. Their mission is to advance economic development in the Rocky Mountain region. And on today's episode of the Riderflex podcast, we have guest Pete Jokish. He's the founder of Tico Tea Supply Company. Their holistic approach to creating better-for-you products is inspired by turning day-to-day moments into momentum. Their teas are blended to help cultivate healthy, happy, and fulfilling lifestyles. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Okay. And by the way, the last name is Jokish? Jokish, yep. Yeah. The C kind of throws everyone off. It's just like joke-ish. Yep. I mean, that's... That's what I. That's how I figured it was. I just wanted to make sure. Man, I bet I you got a bunch of, of nicknames uh, over the years. Uh, I, <laughs> I was thinking about you this morning. I'm like, oh man, when he when he was in high school, I bet they just killed him with that. Probably. They right? did, but those those are the things that can make you stronger. So I'm all good with it. That's why you ended up being a professional athlete, right? Because you you dealt with that while you were a kid. You're like, okay, this is making me tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely got called some names that may have uh, may have pissed me off in the right way. Uh, so I'm good with it. I thought about that a few times as I was preparing for the podcast. Oh, Pete Jokish on the Rider Flex podcast podcast from from Tico Tico Tea Supply Company, right? You got it. So tell us the the personal story before we get into Tico. I want to know about Pete. Like, where did he grow up? Family, all that good stuff, if you don't mind. Yeah, man. I'll try and do it uh, as quick as possible, not to drag it on. But uh, okay. born and raised in Kansas, a little suburb, uh, suburban town out uh, there. And, and honestly, went to school uh, primarily through Catholic education growing up, uh, private okay. school, just uh way that my parents thought was the best route for me. And then I ended up going to Jesuit high school. Uh, so an all boys uh, high school, which was an interesting <laughs> experience for sure. And didn't prepare me quite for college, but. Uh, right. Yeah. Oh, so when you, when you got to college, you're like, Oh shit, look at this is okay. Yeah. This is a different world. Not only were there females <laughs> in class, there were females in the dorms. Like I'm saying, look, it was just a unique experience. They didn't prepare. They prepared us for a lot in high school. But that was not one of them. So <laughs> you're calling your friends you're like i am in heaven compared to whatever it was we were in before (laughs) yeah Uh, it's pretty good uh okay where'd you go to school uh so the high school i went to was uh rockhurst high school kind of similar if you're familiar here in colorado with like jesuit uh like regis jesuit um and then for college i went to a colorado state so Mm -hmm. went up to fort collins fort fun and uh certainly had a good time uh but handled handled business uh with with sports and in the classroom as well so did you go on scholarship for lacrosse they did not have scholarships um at the uh club level that we were at at colorado state um i had honestly had a couple opportunities out east uh, where obviously lacrosse is huge out there. Mm-hmm. And right when I was looking to commit to some of those uh, East Coast schools, 9-11 happened. And my mom, who's actually from the East Coast, uh, was like, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty during that time. Uh, yep. And she's yep. like, uh, you're not going out there. I'd rather you head west. And so uh, Fort Collins it was. I ha- hey, I live uh, near Loveland, so. I'm I'm a Northern Colorado guy, so I love it up there, man. Very very familiar. What did your folks do? Uh, so my dad actually had his own, is uh, an entrepreneur, had his own mm. business, mostly on the kind of construction side, cable uh, cable installation, fiber optics um, support. So okay, okay, so that's where the entrepreneurial bug came from. Yes, and just, uh, I don't know if it's in the blood or whatnot, but just relative after relative going back on my mom's side, definitely had their own business ventures and uh, kind of charted the course for me to uh, pursue that same path. Gotcha. So you knew early on you wanted to do your own thing, even when you were playing lacrosse? I was always doing like the littlest things here and there, like whether it be trying to like form some sort of like little business, like going around cutting the neighbor's grass uh, whether it be starting like our own little team. I remember I wanted to start our own like rollerblading team and I was in charge of 
getting the jerseys and trying to get sponsors and trying to like line stuff up. And I just like almost like a GM type role. Cause I really wasn't very good. So I knew I wasn't going to play on that side, but uh, I was like, I just love the business side of those things. Mm-hmm. Wait, how about your mom? I forget. I, I would, did she also, she was, was she an entrepreneur? Go ahead. She's the greatest stay at home mom there was. If she could put awesome. up with uh, me and my brother and sister, uh, it was a handful for her for sure. Okay. They're still in Kansas. Uh, yeah, so they split time between there uh, and down in Florida uh, where they have a place. So uh, Very nice. Okay, yeah. very nice. Okay, good. I'm guessing they're not down there now with the little storm that came through. <laughs> no, not yet. You know what? It's um, So they actually leverage their space, you know, Airbnb style for a lot of the year, but that was just completely decimated uh, with everything going on in the current environment. So mm-hmm. they'll be heading down here shortly and we'll, our little annual family annual trip to meet them down there and cool. uh Cool. Good little break, my annual vacation just for a few days. So, cool, cool, very good. Uh, yeah. You did. You didn't want to work for your dad. I mean, when you went to CSU, uh, you had this entrepreneurial bug. Were you thinking I'm going to go back and work for my dad's company, or what? What were you thinking at the time? I was. I was dumb, man. I really was. <laughs> like, I, I'll be the first to admit it. I, I had a really great opportunity to to go back home and just um, get involved with the business in some capacity. And I think that once. My dad realized that none of the kids had that initial interest to do it. He just kind of, just kind of over it and uh, let it kind of fizzle oh. out a little bit. Um, okay. And I, I always look back, I kind of regret it because I think he had an unbelievable name in the industry out there for what he did. And um, okay, I, yeah, uh, okay, all right. So, so you're at CSU. You're having a good time. You're around a around a bunch of chicks for the first time. You're going crazy. <laughs> Uh, and you're, you're, you're a big lacrosse guy and tea and tea, you're a big tea drinker and that's your passion too at the time. Yeah. You know what? I didn't even notice at the time that, or even had any sort of inclination that I would start a business around it. I just think when you're in college, obviously you're a very tight budget and you're trying to figure out, I didn't even really pay attention a ton to like nutrition panels back then. You just kind of like whatever tasted good and was cheap, whatever. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and for me, like tea was just relatively inexpensive because uh, it was very, very commodity based, if you will. There wasn't a lot of like premium mm-hmm. brands I thought mm-hmm. in the space, but mm-hmm. it was just kind of one of those that I kind of fell into and incorporated into my lifestyle because it was some healthier options were out there uh, and, the, and the price point was right. And so that's kind of what got me into it. Okay. So that was your passion. All right. And then what happened? You, you somehow you're, you're good enough to go to, to play for the Colorado Mammoth, right? Yeah, so I uh, played for them for a couple of years. Uh, I'll, I'll use the word play very uh, loosely. I was more or less a backup goalie, so a, a target practice. A lot of time to think about business ideas, I'll just say that. <laughs> well, yeah, but your name was on the roster. It was on the roster. I was in the, the team photos, and uh, I may okay. got picked on as a new guy, uh, low on the totem pole, but I uh, had an unbelievable experience and uh, still friendships with a lot of guys on the team. Now, you, did you do that after you graduated school? So you, you, you graduated CSU and then you said, oh, I'm going to go try out for the team or like a buddy called you and said, hey, man, you're good enough. Come over here. How'd that happen? Yeah, the lacrosse network is super tight knit, especially okay. out here in Colorado. Um, okay. The man had the time uh, and just the league in general had a, a huge following uh, comparative to just what the, the rest of the league uh, offered. And so, okay. yeah, just through that network, it was the, uh, the coaches and the GM were like, Hey man, like we'd love to have you come try out and, and see if you'd be a part of this team. So uh, it was is, fun. Is, is this when you were a senior or after you graduated? What was the timeline after, on that? After I graduated. Yep. Well, okay. So but after you, after you graduated, what were you doing for a living? How were you paying the bills? Man, just a couple of different odd jobs, to be honest with you. I okay. kind of some crazy stories for a few years. I uh, worked within uh, kind of the, the food and beverage space uh, okay. kind of behind the bar. Okay. Uh, I did some business to business sales as well. And um, yeah, okay. just kind of all over the map, to be honest. Uh, okay. All right. So, all right. You do, you're, you're doing what it takes to make a living. You're having fun. You're on, you're on the team. Young guy, just graduated from CSU. Okay. Your life's, life's decent, but you're kind of, you're trying to find yourself right in there. You're, you're like, okay, I got it. What am, what am I going to do here? I got to have a plan, right? So, something like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, lacrosse, you know, for majority of them is not like a, a career path, right? right? Yeah, for like sure. A passion play at that point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you, you do kind of wonder, like, what is it um, mm-hmm. that's going to excite me every day and, and get me out of bed? And I, it was a lot of soul searching, to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of odd jobs that 
were fun uh, in some capacity, camaraderie in, in some aspects, but nothing that really got me into it. And just, it was just one day where people were like, man, this tea is good, man. You should, you should consider selling it. And I was kind of like, nothing else going on. Like, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Go to a farmer's market. Uh, I like it. Are you, are you serious? That's what happened. You had made your own tea, like you had made your own brew or your own recipe or whatever. You're, you're giving it to some friends. They're like, hey, man, this is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, the farmer's markets for a lot of like food entrepreneurs is a great place to start because uh, you get consistent traffic. Usually it's kind of the same people visiting. So you get a, a good little customer base. I'll give you good feedback. Um, you're around. So you, other so you went to your first farmer. I just want to I just want to pause you right there. Yep. Were you like farmer's market? Like, I don't even know what the hell that is. How do I even sign up for a booth? Like, did, did you? <laughs> Dude, we have did you... funny stories about even just getting involved in the farmer's market. Cause you know, you have to buy a space, like a little 10 by 10 booth. Yeah. Right. You don't know how much you're going to sell. And so you're trying to figure out like, is the cost per booth? Are we going to make that? And then some, like, what do the metrics look like? They have the ability to split booths. So you could team up with another company if you wanted to split the booth. And the story maybe for another time of some of the companies we talked to and almost pulled the trigger on having a booth with and we we're just like you know what man we need to just commit to it and okay. see right. how the first year goes so and that, that first booth do you remember what it cost it was like 500 bucks thousand bucks it was 350 bucks a week so it okay. was it was pricey okay. um oh, all right and we we went to be honest with you like if I'm going to commit to something, I'm trying to like make it as professional mm -hmm. as possible, just so people mm -hmm. take it serious and try to build some sort of trust. Factor. So we like built this table and had like this galvanized metal, almost like Chipotle style, kind of like that galvanized metal in our sign. We had bamboo, um, little trees there. We had like menu boards. Who's we? Who's uh, we? Me and my business partner, Ryan. Was it co-founder or just the, your first hire? Um, Co-founder, yeah. He yeah, was just, okay. uh, you know, very early on came on board and. Uh, well, well, you guys, what are you bartending? Are you bartending at night to pay for all this? How are you doing this? <laughs> just, uh, yeah, mutual friends connected us and it was pretty much just uh, my savings that I had kind of put into the business and figured out if we can make it happen. I know, I know, I know that you're itching to get into where Tico stands today, but the, the early, the early stuff, I think the listeners, they like that, man. They'll, they're like, okay, hold on. I want to know how you got there. Like, tell me about the pain. Tell me about the pain and suffering that you went through trying to scrounge up 500 bucks to pay for the booth. And then the first two booths you had, you didn't even sell enough tea to pay the cost of the booth and all the rest of those things, those stories. Yeah. We, I mean, honestly, that's a hundred percent what it's like. You, you don't really have a plan necessarily. At least we didn't have a plan in place. <laughs> yeah. um, you hope that people show up. You're, it's predicated on weather. So if it's raining, like the market people don't care. Like, they're going to collect their money regardless. And so, you know, in, in the products we put out, do people like them? And if they don't like them, are we going to be savvy enough to make changes to those? So the next time they do try it, you know, kind of uh, get them how, back. Uh, how did you pack? How did you package the first, the first products? Did you use a packer, a co-packer or what'd you do? Yeah. So we had a co-packer um, for the very, very like first run. And okay. then we just realized that if we wanted to make changes to stuff, we were really hamstrung to, the ability to make those changes. Um, mm -hmm. And right. so that's when we really started to look at bringing it in house. And we actually got like a cottage license. Um, oh, right. So like a shared, it. like a shared kitchen deal. Yeah. You're actually able to turn your house into like a oh, concert. Oh, 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 gotcha. All right. I'm not All sure right. if they still exist. I would imagine mostly on like the baked goods side is where they're at, but tea classified under that. And we're able to leverage our cottage license to at least be able to blend our stuff. And you can only do a certain amount, but we were going to be far under that just as a new business. So, so, so is this you and your partner? You're like at home in the kitchen. You're like applying the labels on the, on, on, on the little, uh. we were looking at a place. We actually, uh, got a place together and it was a, a house that actually had two kitchens and we like turned that second kitchen into our production facility. We were like, love it. buy the book, had the health department, like check it out. Like we were like <laughs> so serious from day one about it. I love that, bro. I love that. That's so good. You don't happen to know Becca Sheps from Mortal Kombucha, do you? That name sounds super familiar. I, I definitely yeah. know the brand. I'm trying to put a face to the name. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Similar story. She's making the stuff out of her kitchen. And they're like trying to figure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. So, all right. So, so you, you guys are kind of moving along here. I'm guessing you're, you're not really 
paying yourselves anything at first, obviously. Walk us through now a little progression. Go ahead. So, so after farmer's market, when, when is that first big break where you're like, oh, oh, wow, we just signed with whoever and now we can actually pay ourselves a salary? How, when did yeah, that so happen? for the first two years, we just, um, just did the markets on the weekends. Okay. Um, so we still had other jobs that we were doing, um, but it was really during that second farmer's market that you know, we came across an opportunity to provide a, a tea program for a relatively large restaurant group. And it was did they just happen to stop, they happened to stop by the booth? These yeah, the corporate, the corporate chef who I'm still really good friends with him. Um, but like he was with Quiznos and he stopped by and, and was like, Hey, I really enjoy the product. And I think this uh -huh. is really cool. And we're looking for really some unique innovations at our restaurant. He didn't, this whole time he's not telling me like who he's with or anything. He's okay. like, just call this number on Monday and we'll set up a meeting. You didn't know who he was with? No, no. <laughs> okay. And, uh, all right. All right. So You're like, like kind of like a surprise to be honest with you. And I was like, well, this is different. <laughs> did, you, did you did you call your partner? You're like, holy shit, this guy's with Quiznos. Like, this could be something. <laughs> it was. It was crazy. Yeah, we didn't know what would come from it, but it certainly uh, set us off on a path, um, awesome. at least early on, because we didn't, I mean, there's no business plan in place. We didn't have like some mapped out strategy of how we're going to come into the market. Um, and so this okay. was kind of like, well, we got nothing else going on. Might as well pursue this. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah. Is that your first big contract where all of us, you're, you're producing product for them? Yeah, so we, uh, with, it was interesting. It was a really long process. So we met with them and started meeting some of the other chefs and some of the operations people and developed a program that we actually tested in 26 locations here in Colorado. And we okay. not only developed custom blends for them, but we also developed like this unique dispenser option. It was like this, almost like these clear cylinders that you could see the product and it was like lit up with these like LEDs. And oh, it was all a, right. All right. Really cool concept. And we tested it and did an unbelievable test. And they were pretty much like, great, the product sells. We love it. We're going to use this other company to <laughs> create these recipes. It was good knowing you. And I was like, you got to be oh, kidding me. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. There's no, there was no protection, no, no contracts, no, no agreements, no, yeah, no, no legal recourse. You know, when you're at the farmer's market and you had like two customers and you could have potentially had 2,200 customers, you don't, it was just yeah. young and dumb, to be honest with you. You didn't have okay. any sort of okay. protection in place. Yeah. Boy, lots of, lots of learning, uh, uh, ex you know, things in there, right? I mean, come on. That was, yeah, you Tons, learned a lot right through there. All right. All right. Yep. Okay, go ahead. So then what, go ahead. Move us along. Yeah. And then, so from there, we actually were connected. So at the same time, similar interest, Smashburger was actually involved with Quizno. Okay. Some of the kind of investors and kind of corporate heads um, had synergies between the two. And so although we didn't get Quiznos, Smashburger was really interested. And so we were actually able to launch the program with them into at the time it was about 200 locations. And that was easily wow. our biggest customer um, location wise. And uh, it made up probably about 95% of our overall business. Which uh, is not scary. Super scary. Yeah. Scary and it ended up kind of uh, setting us back a little bit. I, I'll, I'll get into why it did. So we actually knew that having a customer that big would just yeah. is super challenging. I mean, you're almost you're you're you end up in a situation where you're almost like an employee because if you, you yeah, I mean, seriously, jump how high is pretty much what it was. Yeah. Like, <laughs> absolutely. And so we tried to like figure out how we can diversify our portfolio to get them closer to around 20%. Yes. And we gave ourselves around a, a two to three year window to okay. try and accomplish that. Right. Um, we started getting going. We're actually crushing sales like iced tea. We I think grew their overall iced tea program by like 253%. Wow. It was the number there, a big, big number. And Coke, uh, pretty much stepped in. Was uh, we were starting to cannibalize some of their fountain sales. I see. And they did not like that. Pretty much wrote Smashburger a check for five hundred thousand dollars and said, "You're going to go with our program. We're going to give you some incentives, and you're going to be done with that company." And so, wow. it was pretty thirty day window when we lost that. And at the time, they're around forty three percent of our overall business. Well, good job on getting it from ninety to forty three. At least it wasn't all of your business at the time. I mean, good good move on your part to you know shift it that quickly. Yeah, it was good. It was uh, the, the really challenging part was obviously. I mean, that's a huge amount of revenue to lose essentially yes. in the thirty window. Half your business. Yeah, yeah, but we 
and the other challenge was we were using that revenue to fund uh, equipment. So we had a bunch of equipment loans Oof. to go and get other business. Oof. And so the floor dropped out and that was at the end of 2014. And that was really for me like a, uh, mm-hmm. a look in the mirror. I, I, I honestly doubted myself, you know, 300 days out of the year. <laughs> well, now can I, can I, can I, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Can I ask you, had you borrowed, have you, had you taken investor cash at that point too, or did you only have bank loans for the equipment? What debt did you have? Yeah. So at that time, myself and my father had put in all the money uh, at okay. that particular juncture, but okay. the equipment, we did have equipment financing that was through, there's some kind of, I'm not going to call them hard money lenders, but Yep. There's some kind of asset yep. financing options that are out there. It was a good solution for us because we didn't have the business credit built up in me personally, you know, leveraging credit cards quite a bit on the business uh, didn't put me in a personal good position to uh, take on more bank loans. So we were in really high interest equipment loans. Um, it was, Oof. it was dark, man. It was, it was really tough. Can I ask you, were you married at the time? I was not, but I was with, my girlfriend now wife and she's she's got to see uh every stage of Pete in these last however many years uh, was it a phone call from smashburger to you to say hey man uh listen just so you know in 30 days you're out it was a a call to come to their office uh to talk about this next year hey I just want to come down chat where our plans are for this next year and you know on the surface i'm like yeah that sounds great though I'm excited for the next year as well. And then to say, we're not moving forward with you next year. It's like, that is not what I expected. (laughs) Damn. Okay. Well, how many employees did you have at the time? There was only, I think, five of us at the time. uh, Okay. Most of the production side. Um, Okay. All right. All right. So your overhead wasn't super heavy, but you did have some some loans and some debt you were for, for equipment. Okay. All right. Yep. So after you like uh, went home to your girlfriend at the time and cried for a few days and had a few yep. drinks, then what'd you do? <laughs> you know, when we looked at that situation, I think you realize if you got into the business because you're passionate about it or you got into it because you thought there was opportunity there. Ooh, right. Good. And repeat. because, you know, if you think that, oh, well, such and such market is really hot right now, and I think I can provide something unique, when times get tough, you're going to bail. You're just not committed. You're not pot committed at that time. And obviously, we were capital committed, um, but also like, no, man, I got myself into this because it's something that I'm passionate about. I'm going to figure a way out of this, and Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let this one opportunity kind of slow us down. So we... um, honestly started going back into old emails uh, from customers. We were, you know, like you said, we we're kind of employees to Smashburger sort of. Um, we had a lot of customers that were hitting us up and saying, hey, I had your tea at Smashburger. I'd love to uh-huh. drink it at home. And it was, you know, a lot of customers throughout the country, uh, just okay. individuals hitting us up. And we thought if food service is going to be this way, if these big opportunities are going to be controlled by Coke and we don't have the ability to compete at that level, we need to kind of diversify and start targeting uh, more consumers directly. And so we developed a retail product line of our iced teas and and launched within Whole Foods. And within that uh, year period, uh, got that revenue back uh, that we had lost. Really? Oh, wow. Within 12 months, you got it back through Whole Foods. And were you doing any B2C online at that time or just going to, to the big retailers? Mostly through like the Whole Foods channel. We didn't, and still to this day, I'm learning (laughs) retail quite a bit. Um, We didn't know too much. There was, you know, some expenses that came with that, but um, it just proved that we needed to, uh, you need to have that connection with the consumer if you want to kind of control your destiny, right? Mm, Um, That's where the value, because they're the ones that are buying it at the store. I mean, obviously our our retail relations are crucial, right? They're the, the conduit for which we can communicate to our customers, but it's only the customers that are going to be going and buying it. And so you got to have that direct connection to them. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So then today as the company, how many, what retailers are you in? I think it's also available on Amazon and can you buy it off of your own website as well directly to your house? Yeah. So we, um, so after we launched that product, uh, we, we saw some challenges with brew at home iced tea as well. It was very seasonal. We launched it in uh, like April of, 2015 okay. and we're like oh man this is great people love it well as soon as like september hit as soon as those leaves started falling off the trees 
no one's buying brew at home iced tea in Colorado. Uh, oh, I, I see. Okay. So at that time, when you first went to wholesale, it's only brew at home. It's not ready. It's not ready. Uh, what, what do we call it? Uh, uh, ready to the, drink. Yep. Ready to drink. It's not ready to drink. Okay. Got it. Oh, so it's not. It, all right. Go ahead. <laughs> so that immediately kind of set us on this other path of, man, if we're going to have the seasonality, we either need to expand this product rapidly nationwide, mm-hmm. um, or we need to think about a different um, kind of apparatus to provide this product. And a, a lot of feedback during that time was, man, I love brewing this tea, but I just forget about it. Someone would, you know, maybe you've bought a product like a, a seasoning or a spice or something at like a farmer's market. And you're like, God, I love it. I'm going to, make this every day and then you put it in your cabinet and six months later it works its way to the back and you're like oh yeah i forgot about this like Mm -hmm. that's the Mm -hmm. way that tea is for a lot of people Mm -hmm. Uh, so we recognize that if it's ready to drink in a can we can deliver the same quality and flavor cans don't sit in people's fridges that stuff gets drank um and so we're like we got to figure that out okay Uh, i still have a little journal and it says put that shit in cans. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Yeah. Uh, so good. All right. Good, good. All right. Uh. <laughs> so yeah, we started down that path and um, built out our own tea brewery. So we actually produce everything in house. That's something we really pride ourselves on the American manufacturing side of things and, and okay. being true crafters, if you will. Uh, and so, yeah, we built out our tea brewery. We still have the dry tea that we offer, um, but our canned business, our fizzy tea is really that, catalyst for our growth in the future and so what what did wholesale when you went back to when you went back to to uh, whole foods and and everybody you're like hey listen we're, we're ready to drink now let me show you my new product did they they were like no 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 no. you guys are brew tea or how did they push back or did they just put it on the shelf no i mean any of those you know any of those retailers that are actually vested in their suppliers um, like mm. the whole Foods is a great example mm. they want to see you do well and they understand mm-hmm. that if you have a product and you want more out of it they appreciate that. Uh, I was constantly going back, like, what can we do to get better? What can we do to get better? And there was a buyer, he's no longer there. Uh, but he was like, if you can deliver this flavor in a can, it'll sell. Okay. And so that's what we got to work on. Um, wow. Wow. And what year did you launch ready to drink? So when we first launched the ready to drink, um, in 20, 2018, kind of like mid-year 2018, we launched a still tea product line actually at that time, okay. replicating similar to our boxed tea that you brew at home. And just being in the market for a few months, it just wasn't moving the meter for people. You know, we were getting compared to like Arizona because it was a still tea product or like a Lipton or something. And we were like, we got to break through the noise here. And we'd always done stuff ourselves. We would take tea batches and we'd carbonate it and do fun cocktails. And we just thought to ourselves like, why are we doing this fun stuff for ourselves and and not sharing this Mm -hmm. with our consumers? So we decided to carbonate our teas and go sample them out like on a little keg and tap it out. And people are like, holy, you know, this is amazing. It's so tasty. And so that's what we went to Whole Foods and said, we know we launched this still product. We want to change it to fizzy. Here it is. Here's what it's going to look like. And they said, that's going to work. And oh, good for you. All yeah. right. All right. So, so now, do you still have steel tea or it's all fizzy? It's all fizzy. Uh, okay. We still have the dry tea that you can brew at home. So we have hot tea and brew at home iced tea that's available just pretty much direct to consumer on our website. But the cans is where we're trying to grow in through different uh, on-premise and off-premise channels. Okay. Who's who does your marketing now? Do you have an in-house person, or are you you outsourcing that? Your, your, we your website. Your, yeah. We do everything in-house, man. We take a ton of pride not only on the creation of the product, but we want the actual branding. So all the design. Uh, so Matt from our team uh, and myself are really heavily involved in the design um, of the actual like, packaging and then the website stuff. Um, it's good, yeah, bro. It's it's good. I just, it's good. I just tell you, yeah, it's good. I mean, I see a lot of shitty websites and. I mean, the branding is good. Like, I just assumed you were using some big firm or something when I was studying you. I mean, it's pretty solid for a small, smaller tea company. Yeah, good job. I like the branding, the, Im- the image, the colors, the, just all of it. It's, it's good. Yeah, it really is. 
that's what my, you know, I take a lot of pride in that, but that's always what someone, uh, a, a good buddy of mine said, if this doesn't work out, you got another job to uh, lean back on. You can certainly provide value to a lot of brands through uh, the marketing side of things. So. I totally, I, I totally agree. I was impressed with it. Uh, I can't believe you're doing it in house. Quite honestly, I didn't figure that was the answer you were going to give me. I didn't know lacrosse, per, lacrosse players were super like creative and design guys. No, I but think hey. I lost you there. Oh, oh, did I, did I cut out? Here we go. Sorry. All right, let me let me make a note of that, Pete, real quick. Hold on. Let me just do this. Yeah, there's about a five-second little uh, right. freeze there. I, I didn't know uh, lacrosse players were, like, super creative design guys. <laughs> Again, when you're, uh, when you're in the goal just getting pelted with ball, you kind of, you know, you got to rethink uh, what you're doing. <laughs> oh, man, it's pretty good. How does the company stand today? If you don't, I don't know how much you want to share, but maybe employees, I don't know if you want to share volume, but like how, how big is the company? Where are you at today? Do you want to share any of that? And can you also follow that up with, are you in any sort of cash raise round? Are you just going to continue to grow organically? And what's the plan? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So for us, we had a team um, about 10 pretty much full time. Then we have a handful, about two others that kind of come in seasonally or when we need it. Um, okay. So not a very big team. We're trying to really focus on um, refining our operations and make sure we're maximizing everyone um, currently. Um, from like a, you know, growth perspective, you know, our business was always divvied up into primarily on-premise, which is restaurants, which we did. Okay. We service a lot of restaurants with our brewed tea, with our hot tea. Um, we've been wanting to grow the canned tea business within that sector uh, while also growing our off-premise, which is like retail grocery and things of that nature. Um, and we had our website, but it was never really a big part of the equation. Well, this entire situation, just like every business, it seems like, yeah. uh, has just, has, it's kind of forcing people's hands, right? It's, mm -hmm taking some aspects of the business away and causing you to, to look in the mirror in some instances, like, are we operating efficiently? Are we pursuing the right channels? Do we fully understand our customers? And so we've pretty much lost um, over 85% of our on-premise business. On-premise, is that the, so for, the com, for the commoners, selling to restaurants, selling wholesale to restaurants? Yep. Okay. Restaurants and hotels. I mean, hotels was a really big channel for us the dry tea or can or the can the dry tea or the cans uh the whole kind of whole spectrum there oh okay all right all right so we had all products we have three different product lines and so all three product lines were relevant within our hotel customers okay and we've maybe fulfilled one hotel order in the last five months wow um, just wow. brutal um yep. but on the flip side of that retail there was a little bit of a dip there so when everything happened and the grocery stores pretty much just turned into toilet paper and sanitizer <laughs> hubs uh, for some reason. Um, yep. they, they did a halt on any sort of like specialty products. So stuff that was not deemed like mission, mission critical or essential, they just capped distribution of those products. So we weren't in getting distributed. I mean, you're talking about high time for grocery stores in March and April, that business was really, really weak for us. But the all-time volume was so high, like we missed a really good opportunity, but we're, we weren't the only ones that suffered that. But coming out of uh, that really into uh, May and June, we started seeing that volume really pick back up, which is encouraging. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then what, and how about your B2C uh, business online? Yeah, we've seen that uh, about triple, which uh, it wasn't a big part of the business to begin with, but it's becoming a bigger part. And we're trying to really figure out how do we build infrastructure around that to make that a more formidable aspect of the business moving forward. So mm -hmm. um, consumers, if you would have, it's kind of crazy. It's, it's, I mentioned earlier, it's kind of forcing businesses hands, but it's also forcing consumers hands because if you would have told me that my parents would have been ordering like groceries or food from like a, an online platform, I would have thought for sure, an apocalypse happened because they're just <laughs> cool. and, totally agree. Totally it changed, agree. It changed consumers. And so people are um, looking to buy groceries, beverage online and have it delivered to their house. And, and we got to take advantage of that. How much of your B2C business online is Amazon versus your own site? It's about 50 50 split right now. Okay. So, um, okay. We're, we're, we're trying to better understand what's the better long-term 
goal, like what can achieve like far greater success between the two and kind of getting a mixed bag right now. Um, so we're just going to keep kind of testing both platforms and see kind of through the end of the year what which one comes out ahead. Well, it's, it's like the Smashburger thing, right? I mean, if all the business is Amazon and Amazon decides to change the rules six months, six months from now and do something different, I mean, you're, you're a slave to them. And then plus they take their cut. And so the margins are smaller for you. You know, it's obviously yep. better for the customer to, to buy. On that topic, not, in, not to get into a big Amazon discussion, but, you know, I get that as a consumer. I think a lot of consumers, especially if they're in any kind of business, they, they understand that, wow, all these small businesses like Tico, they're having to sell through Amazon, give Amazon their cut. But as a consumer, the reason I like that is because it's super easy and they have my account and I know that I can just look it up and click here and boom, I'm done. And I, and I have this in my head as a consumer, I'm like, and I know I can probably order Tico through their website, but then I got to go to their website. I got to fill out all the stuff and, you know, just create an account. And I don't want to do all that. So I'm just going to see yeah. if it's on Amazon. I'm just going to see if it's on Amazon. That's what happens. Yeah. It's, um, it's really interesting because it depends on the product also that you have, because there's a lot of advantages that Amazon can provide. And I'll use our company as an example because it's the only one I know. <laughs> but that's um, the weight of our product for distribution is extremely expensive to ship. Ah, okay. Amazon's economies of scale. I think we saw a comparison that it would cost us to ship a case to New York. It would cost us $14 to ship one case. It costs wow. Amazon 60 cents. Okay, so even though your margins are smaller on what you sell through Amazon, you're making that back up in distribution savings from what you you know would have had if you sold it directly through your own website. Is what I hear you say. Yeah, exactly. Like when we're starting to like really get the numbers in, um, hmm. you have okay. to offer incentives on both. And yeah, Amazon does hold hmm. the keys, right? But they it depends on kind of like how you're looking to leverage the platform, like. Amazon for us gives us a ton of exposure nationwide that maybe our website currently doesn't allow. Mm -hmm. Well, if we're trying to also understand what retailers we're trying to get into in new territories, we can actually see at least the method. They don't give us customer data per se, like on the individuals, but they mm -hmm. let us know where people are ordering it. And so Southern California has been ordering a good amount of our product. Well, that's a great segue for us to then start looking at Southern California retailers and say, Hey, customers in this territory are buying our product. We think that, you know, you guys would have success selling this as well and kind of make our pitch to them. And it becomes a little bit uh, of an easier sell, if you will, or at least it makes it more compelling. And so we're trying to leverage that, you know, leverage it to not only drive revenue, but also to give us information uh, for decisions moving forward. Okay, let me ask you this question now about the recipe and the quality and all of that. Yeah. So my, my wife is a huge tea drinker, by the way, and I can't wait till she gets home and I'm going to say, hey, have you, have you heard of this, Tico? <laughs> um, so she's a huge tea drinker. I know her first question is going to be, well, what, what's, what's so good about this? Like, why, why is this different? Now, I, your website does a pretty damn good job of clarifying all that. But if you hadn't, if you, if you hadn't read the website, um, tell us in your own words, like why, why, why Tico fizzy tea versus all the other stuff I can buy on the shelf? Yeah. So for us, when we control the entire process, tea has such unique characteristics. Okay. And when you get into like more high quality teas, depending on different you know, territories that it's grown, different countries and whatnot, through the brewing process, you can actually extract unique flavor profiles that you're not going to get out of like traditional extracts that predominantly most tea companies utilize for their drinks. I did so, not know that. I did not know that. You, you described yeah. that just now like it's like it's wine grown, like grapes grown in different parts of the country for wine is how you just described that. It's 100% exactly like that. So I, I never knew that. Okay. Yeah. Right. And then when we look at like, so not only does the quality and within each different tea varietal, um, you know, obviously the flavor profiles can be unique, but there's actually different benefits and things of that nature. Um, to the various herbs and spices as well as the teas and so for us it's finding that right balance of how do you what temperature you, you essentially steep the product at compared to how long you steep it for it's really kind of this balance that each batch is a little bit different and uh, they're not all it's not a cookie cutter formula any means it really comes down to us cupping the batch and saying hey it, it needs to steep a little bit longer or hey we need to 
increase this ingredient um, a little bit more, scale that back in some capacity by adding more water. So it's a, it's a, it's a truly a craft that we take a lot of pride in and we try and deliver that um, to where if you're looking for a cookie cutter recipe, we're certainly not the company for you, but if you're interested in like more artisanal flavor profiles um, and understanding tea a little bit more, fully we can certainly provide that for you does that mean does that mean that if i buy the uh the fizzy white tea the the pear garden mint if i get a case of that this month and i buy a case three months from now it might it might be slightly different you know what we try and do our best job to where you don't taste because we know like, consumers <laughs> want consistency so i'll start by saying that like we don't just kind of let this free thing happen where okay. <laughs> oh, it's going to change every single time and it is what it is. That's certainly not how we operate, uh, okay. but we, but from our perspective, that's where the craft comes in. It's every single time we get a new batch of maybe white tea or a batch of chamomile or lemongrass, it's going to taste different to us. And so it's our job to brew and extract the product every single time to where you as a consumer don't taste the difference you just appreciate the depths of the flavor. And so that's where the craft really comes in. And I'll admit, we don't do a good job of describing that on the site, which is what we're going to be working on. So well, it's, it, it's, a, I mean, well, okay. Yeah. You're, I mean, I guess it could be a little bit better, but the site does have a lot of good, good info on it. Um, so for, for the tea snobs out there, by the way, speaking of tea snobs, like, have you thought about selling in the UK? I mean, they're huge on tea over there, right? I mean, they're bigger on tea than Americans are, aren't they? Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's a ton of opportunity over there. Um, we still have, you know, a ton of work uh, okay. to be done here. I think what's okay. really cool about the opportunity here is that we're a, a really big iced tea drinking community. Over in the UK, it is much more hot tea driven. I see. Okay. Um, I actually think there's probably more opportunity in Asia. Um, oh. oh. Because they're very in tune with what American culture is is providing unique and different. But Okay. I think there's just so much opportunity for us, even just here in our own backyard to, to add value to whether it's a traditional tea drinker that's just looking for something fun and exciting from their, you know, okay. traditional cup of tea or someone who uh, didn't really have good experiences with tea in the past. Maybe they oversteeped the hot tea and it just kind of turned them off to the, the process. Okay. We're trying to provide like, it's almost like a gateway beverage, right? <laughs> We're trying to like <laughs> invite people in that would have maybe ne never otherwise considered it uh, to get interested into tea. Let me ask you an investor question real quick. And I want to ask about cash raise and stuff like that. So based on the way you told me it's made and how you're, how you're producing it and manufacturing it, I'm thinking maybe like, like an investor would think, okay, well, that's really cool. But how are you going to like mass scale that and mass produce that if you know, and how are you going to be able to make it the same way if, if you're, you know, scaling it out? Have you gotten those challenges from any investors? Yeah, and absolutely. We, we wonder it ourselves. The nice thing is there's a ton of parallels to what the craft beer industry has done. And so you could make the same argument. Well, you know, New Belgium seemed to yeah. scale, you know, I'm sure they had a number of challenges, but they seem to scale pretty nicely. And yeah. Um, yeah. we Good just point. follow very suit, you know, very closely with what they would do. So the equipment's all there the scalability is all there. It just okay. kind of comes down to making sure we put the right people in the right place to, to help us achieve that. Okay. Very good. All right. Awesome. So you've learned a lot. And by the way, one of the things that I'm most impressed about you, and I was listening to another podcast you did when I was prepping for, you know, doing my own homework for you. Yeah. Well, at first I looked up your profile and I'm like, okay, wait a minute. This, this guy was like, you know, like a lacrosse player. And all of a sudden he's a, he's a business owner. <laughs> That was my first reaction, you know, just looking you up. And I thought, well, he never, he never even was an executive. Like he was never classically trained. He didn't grow up at IBM or anywhere else. And, and wow, he just started this thing early on and taught himself how to be an entrepreneur and an executive and, and business owner. And I thought this is going to be a good conversation. Then as I listened to your podcast that you did with somebody else, and now as I talk to you today, like, I'm, I'm really impressed, Pete. I mean, I like you talk like a long term CEO that has tons of manufacturing and CPG experience. I, I mean, way more versed than and than I anticipated. So kudos. I appreciate, I appreciate that, man. I will say there's probably a lot of uh, business battle scars to, to show <laughs> to how I got here. It certainly had come a long way over the years. But I will say that in 
just kind of entrepreneurship in general, um, having a competitive spirit and fire and, and being really passionate about what we're trying to do, um, that helps you get through a lot of stuff. And mm-hmm. I was in board meetings where, yeah, they probably looked at me and said, who's this ragtag? Like, this doesn't belong here. And you learn really quickly, right? You, you, you try and figure out, like, if I'm going to go into that environment, I got to be able to speak at that level. And there's constantly, I'd take notes at meetings of acronyms and words and things that I didn't right. know. And I would just right. shake my head and say, yeah, we can absolutely do that. And I'm like, saying, <laughs> I have no idea what that even means. Who knows what I just did it to. But you just figure it out. So, yeah. Uh... Yeah, it's I, really helps. Uh, it's so interesting you bring that up. I remember the first time I made sea level and I went to a few board meetings. I did the same thing. I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means, but I'll look that up later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very good. Uh, okay. Do you still have control of the business? Have you taken on a major investor and are you planning on raising cash anytime soon? What's the latest on that front? Yeah, so we um, we do have a number of investors, mostly kind of in the friends and family and kind of angel round. Uh, angel currently. round, oh, okay. Um, so just a lot of what we consider just influential people here in the Colorado market that have um, looked to just try to add value to the company wherever they can. So uh, I try to surround myself with people that I feel like, I mean, obviously capital is great. Um, and I know everyone talks about strategic capital, but it's, it's more like people that actually want to jump on a call with you and and try and help you work through Mm. problems. Mm. They don't always want to, obviously they want to hear about the successes and stuff, but they want to know where are the challenges occurring and how can I help as an, as an investor and someone who has experience in a particular, uh, environment. And so that's what we've been looking towards. Um, when we bring people on, uh, and you know, a lot of times at this early stage, Obviously, they're excited about the product, but oftentimes they're betting on the jockey, and I, I, I try and do everything that I can to, to make sure that they're proud of what I'm doing to try and take the company forward. So, um, yeah, we're uh, we are awesome. we are. Uh, are you? Uh, are you? are not. So you're not about to go into a Series A or anything, right? Now it's still like if you meet the right angel, you'll talk to them, and that's kind of where you're at. Yeah, um, I think that just CPG is is a category that requires is very capital intensive. And we chose the path to bring all production in-house. So there is a, a burn, a cash burn associated with that until we get to a certain point. Uh, that's kind of par for the course, but it certainly is uncomfortable. Um, and so we're trying, what we're ultimately trying to figure out is there's certain growth metrics that we want to hit. And if we can hit those growth metrics, um, it'll put us in a good position to where a strategic will take interest in okay. our product. And I feel like we're a product that's not super, super niche. Uh, We have a big market potential and um, we're just more or less trying to prove in our own backyard where the product is successful and why, and then how can we replicate that in new markets? Okay. Very good. Well, I can see why some of these angel folks have written you checks because after meeting you, I I mean, yeah, you, you're very, you're, you're convincing and you're passionate and you're all in. I mean, there is no doubt about the fact that you are all in, which is, it is. Uh, yeah, it is. I got houses on the line to prove it. Or <laughs> <house> to prove it. <laughs> college, college tuition for my little boys. Like it's, uh-huh. it's all tied up. So I'm, I'm pot committed for sure. Any, any uh, aspiring entrepreneur listening to this call, thinking about starting a business, anything you want to share with them real quick? A couple of, couple of tips. Uh, do it for the right reasons. Um, you know, so many people, they kind of, the word entrepreneur is like, it's turned into this like, you know, Vogue Vanity. kind of sexy, yeah. Yeah, word. <laughs> it's not, it's not this easy path. It is a very, uh, in the trenches. And I'm sure a lot of people on this podcast have attested to it before as yes. well. Yes. Um, it's not for the faint of heart. It is, it's challenging. You better be ready to, to face challenges and power through those. So, uh, but at the same time, it's in a lot of regards, you can control your destiny and that's the fun stuff, right? Like it's uh, challenges to me are actually the, um, the most exciting part. Uh, they're very uncomfortable, but that's kind of where I like to operate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, I, I have this little thing I say to myself in the mornings, you know, a little, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge uh, yoga, uh, uh, you know, guy or anything crazy like that, but I do, and I'm not a huge meditation guy or anything, so I don't want this to go the wrong way, but I do say a couple of little things to myself every morning. One of those things that I say to myself is this. I always say, if there are no hurdles and no challenges that come at me today, then that means 
I'm not a business owner and not an entrepreneur and we're not taking any action forward because hurdles and challenges are going to come if you are moving forward. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I could not agree with you more. Um, and I know we're almost out of time. One more question here, or two more, two more questions. Yeah. If you could turn the clock back at all, and, and uh, I'm, sure there were some, I'm sure there are things you would do differently, but if you, do you want to share one or two, if you could call the guy that was coming out of CSU and talk to him, would yeah. you tell him, hey, look, do this and this different? Anything, you, anything you'd tell him? Yeah, I would definitely try and get get more experience in whatever, you know, industry you're trying to get into or kind of job role you're trying to get Maybe, into. Like, okay. Okay. go get way more experience because I would have leapfrogged a lot of mistakes that I made or mm. just uneducated decisions I maybe made back in the day. Um, okay. It just would have helped me out a little bit early, early on and set us on a better path sooner. Okay. okay. All right. And then how about this last question for Pete? If you had to put your core purpose in life into a sentence, and I asked you, well, so you married how many kids? Two little boys, four and a year and a half. So awesome. Uh, well, by, we didn't even talk about the fact that you got two toddlers at home, which is already enough pressure combined with uh, running a business. That's another hour podcast. Yeah, right. uh, if if I asked you to put your core business into a sentence or two, but I but I want you to push that away from your wife and sons because I'm just going to assume that is your core purpose yeah. priority. But beyond them, what is your core pur purpose in life professionally? Yeah, are we creating a company that adds value for other people? And that could come a few different ways. It could come in: Are we a business that's providing a platform for our employees to grow? and become better at maybe skill sets that they want to uh, become better at, or, you know, maybe mm. passions that they want to pursue. And then consumers as well. If we're not creating a product that someone can actually live a better life off of, it, it's, you know, you're not going to take one drink and all of a sudden be on a better path. But if we can create products that people can incorporate into their lives and maybe they get off a of soda and less sugar in their diet or something like that, like I think we can create healthy daily habits. And so, I think if we can be that platform for all aspects, I think that we're, uh, we're putting ourselves in a better position, but more importantly, um, other people. Thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast, Pete. I appreciate it. This was great, man. I, I again, this, this platform is, is amazing. We appreciate being able to tell kind of our story and getting into some of the details and, uh, yeah, this was awesome, man. The Rudderflex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.